Welcome to a Shot in the Arm podcast, our first special edition from Mexico City. I'm Ben Plumley, and I'm joined by our co-host, Yvette Raphael. Hi. Hi, Yvette. Hi, 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 Ben. I'm excited. We're also joined by Anwar Luna Cadena, who is uh, with LAC Platform. We'll... Exactly. Hi. Hi. Hi, everyone. And we're Welcome also... to Mexico. Sorry. Oh, no, no. Thank you. <laughs> and we're also joined by... Dr. Stefan Koo, who, if I may, is, what do you say, the cutest doctor in northern Taiwan? No, in Taiwan. Taiwan, period. Probably Asia. No, just kidding. Hola, everyone. Very nice to meet everybody. Well, it's really great that we're here. Um, context is important. And I wanted to start with why the International AIDS Conference in Mexico is so important. Um, this episode is called We Own the Science. And I just wondered, you know, if we could get your thoughts on why we're here, what's important. Uh, and, um, you know, the IAS released a press release just now now saying that, um, well, asking the question whether uh, we're still in an AIDS crisis. Is AIDS still in crisis? And it would be a really interesting place for us to start, for us to reflect on that. And I, you know, Deno Yvette, if you want to just say, kick in there. Uh, yes, I think... Uh if we're still in a crisis, is an understatement for somebody like myself who comes from South Africa and the uh, SADC region where young women and girls continue to be infected with HIV at such high numbers. So uh, that is a understatement I would like to say we're in a state of emergency as South Africa and as the SADC countries. And how about Mexico, Anwar? Well, we are in a country with a crisis in the HIV response, you know. So it is, it's, it's quite important for Mexicans to have this conference in this year, in this specific month, because we are just uh, opening a new government, and it's a left government that we all have a lot of expectations about this new government. But since the beginning, the civil society of Mexico, we receive a very shocking surprise because in Mexico, the government used to finance the uh, community response. And very soon, the government just canceled the, uh, the, this way to financing civil society. They just stopped the AIDS funding, right? It stopped the AIDS funding. Wow. Yeah. And this is a very, very concerning part of the response because civil society here in Mexico play a very key role in the response, doing testing, referring people to the services. And now we are not quite sure what is the future about the, the response without the support of the civil society. And Stefan, how are things going in Taiwan? Well, I think Taiwan is pretty lucky for having a government and the CDC being very uh, concerned about those innovations um, uh, HIV prevention, we are actually implementing our uh, cell HIV testing program and also we have a very, we have a like pre-implementation program for more than two years. Meanwhile, in other parts of Asia, I think um, all these new technology um, HIV prevention are really behind. That the uptake of PrEP or self-testing are pretty slow. So, um, like, if you really look at the map of the prep implementation of the world, like, Asia is really like a desert. Mm. So, um, I think there's so much we need to learn from other countries. And meanwhile, we all have to go back to our region and country to find out our own problems. So, this is great to be here. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, um, just wanted to think about what we can expect over the course of the coming week. Um, and maybe my co-host, Yvette, I don't know, you have been following HIV and reproductive health science. Is there much coming out this week on that? Uh, I think for, for, for us and for, for young women, and what I'm looking forward to is some of the second, secondary analysis coming out of the, the hormonal contraceptive, the ECHO study. So what was the uptake in the usage of PrEP? What are the new prevalences? amongst young women, the new incidences, and also big around policies. What will WHO do now after we find, found 
oh, we got the results for, for the ECHO trial. So for me, exciting, but also nervous because one of the big things we don't want to see going forward is that this feeling of nothing's wrong with Depot Provera and it can be business as usual. And as I said in my opening statement, the big, big problem is around young women and girls. We are not hitting it on the, the nail on the head when it comes to that. So I'm excited but also worried that we might get into a state of not wanting to do anything because we are safe when it when it comes to depo provera and, and is that true i you know is that true for all of our so-called key populations i mean are you, are you seeing it here and also in taiwan that the people that we really need to reach are not being reached oh, well you know here in in in, in the entire region of Latin America uh, in terms of key population, right? Um, well, this is a region that we have really big concerns in key populations, you know. And um, I think the transgender people, transgender women, there is one of the most highest uh, populations with um, problems and and, and, and concerns in, in terms of that. I am not quite sure if in that conference we will talk about that kind of things, you know. For, for us, this conference, it, it's a big challenge mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it is very focused on science and very, very few opportunities for dialogue with the communities. So we know that community, we have to learn the language of the science people. But in terms of translate these concerns about the specific issues, such as uh, sexual and reproductive health, key populations and things like this, I think there is a few, very few, you know, things that we that's where can... our challenge lies. That's where our challenge as community lies into actually exerting ourselves in spaces like that, that's so scientific, that's so based on, you know, the doctors and, and, and all of the policymakers. It's where we, I think we need to assert ourselves and make clear statements around the issues that you've just mentioned, key populations, which is women as well, young women as well. So I think we are challenged, and I'm glad you said that, challenge around that issue, whether we can actually... I almost want to say infiltrate science mm -hmm. and uh, policymakers to step back, listen, and see that the science is moving. Mm -hmm. However, communities, like you say, most uh, in fact, affected by this are not moving along. And why is that? But this is the science conference, right? The program of conferences that we have. Every two years, we have the big, big AIDS conference. And next year, that's going to be in Oakland and San Francisco. But in between, we have you know, what is essentially the largest place for the science of HIV in an open forum to be discussed. And, and I suppose the question is, how do, we, how do we translate that? How do we get that to the people who need to know about the, about the science? I mean, Stefan, I look at Taiwan and I look at your work and I think, ah, oh, here's a model we can all learn from. Here's something we can be optimistic about. So um, I think it's has to be from the community, like what the community really need. Uh, too often that when scientists are like uh, doing research, they don't really know what the community need. They probably do this from somewhere apart, like somewhere very far away from the village or for the venue that the community really like live. So um, I'm, I think I'm kind of um, um, lucky to have the chance to work with other like uh, um, social apps and also working with our other doctors and also our CDC and from a community perspective. So we are really trying to focus on uh, MSM in Taiwan. And meanwhile, we realize like a uh, young MSM are the hardest to reach. These are the kids that they are um, born with all these bad memories about HIV mm -hmm. and they don't know um, get tested frequently and also they probably enjoy their sex life very early as their counterpart but um, they don't know all these novel strategies so um, I think from the science from all the research we, we did and we realized they actually have this kind of problem so we try to um, influence the 
the government uh, with our study result, saying like, hey, this is the, these kids and they need your help, they need prep the most, and um, they don't have money, so they don't have the awareness, so we need to do something. So that's why when we start our second implementation of prep program, they're actually focusing on this um, uh, population, like this very um, um, like third, um, 18 to 30 mm -hmm. year old um, young men or young women. And what we found is that uh, their uh, new incidence of HIV is actually decreasing after within a year. So that was pretty amazing. And mm -hmm. we're still like, looking forward to the final result. But that story tells us that um, if you really uh, marriage um, uh, science and uh, the community together, then that really do some help. Oh, by the way, Taiwan just passed the uh, same-sex marriage last that's year. Right. So, that's yeah, right. so it's a great yeah. thing. So I think that's a very good thing that um, we definitely would like to show other parts of Asia that if you really listen to the community and know their needs and use your science that follow their needs, and that's actually can do some change. Um, Anwar, as we, as we are here in Mexico, um, for the whole uh, Latin American region, and, and, and here's where I get to ask you what mm. LAC platform <laughs> exactly. is. Exactly. Um, but we have all sorts of challenges from the rich to the very poor. What do you see as the commonality? Well, you know, it's, it's because, let me just take in a little bit about the previous discussion, because about this need of the community to produce and participate in the science. And, and coming back for your, yeah, your yeah. question. In Latin America, we are experiencing uh, the, the, that thing that the Global Fund calls the transition processes. Mm. That means that the withdrawal of the Global Fund is approaching quite quick. You know? So what we are realizing is that communities for years implementing programs, delivering services, and in, during that time, communities didn't have the opportunity to document and evaluate our work. Now, in this transition process, when the Global Fund is almost gone, mm. the Global Fund is pushing countries in Latin America to contract the services of civil society that they call um, social contracting, which yeah. is... Uh, is now you have to contract the civil society to do testing. But and we've, all that we've never paid the community to do this. Exactly. The same in Southern Africa, same in Asia. And we've the problem is that when we have to approach to the government to say, hey, we have these skills, we have this experience, we have nothing to prove that we have the ability to do that. So we need to start to use the science tools in order to show how important is the community response for the national responses, you know? We need numbers. We need, maybe we don't need that uh, specific parts of this, the, the biomedical science, but we for sure need more social science to show how important is the response of the communities. And this is something that we are discussing in Latin America how we will working and how we will produce advocacy tools to convince to the governments that the role of the community is crucial for the response. And I think this is kind of spaces that are key for, for that kind of thing, you know? Funny thing is that the government never really respond uh, at the first place. It's usually the community mm. We found out the question and we come up with all this data and all this important information, then you can inform the government to make policy change. Otherwise, I don't think that any government will, you know, government change as a democratic process. So um, it's kind of, I really think it's kind of important that there should be a sustainable resources pouring to the community and make it really sustainable and long-term um, organization that we can gather all this important data and make and pass it to generation to generation. I think it's quite important. 
But here's the question. We've, we've, and I, so it's a controversial statement, but we've never been able to prove or, or provide adequate data for the social sciences to say, here's why, for example, community is important, and here's how you have to, why you have to pay for it, and here are the results it, it has. I mean, will, will we, are you seeing anything, for example, this week that will help answer those questions? Definitely not. And I think the comrades on the chairs are uh, uh, very open and work very, uh, very much in the community like myself. So uh, one of the reasons why we do not have the evidence around social science is the community work is never funded, it's never supported. For us to have a study in Lancet, we need money to do so. For us to document the work that we do, to those nuances of, like you said, it has to come out from the community. Science never asks community. But I also have a challenge for science. Who are you doing the science for? Well, right. Are you doing it for mm. peer review? Are you doing to show that you're a doctor? Or are you doing it for the communities? And if the importance is doing it for the communities, get communities involved mm. from the beginning and also resource that involvement. I don't, I cannot walk to, to Mexico. Somebody has to fly me here mm. from South Africa. That is resourcing, making sure community is always available. But also some credit, this community involvement, community uh, engagements pre and post the, 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 this specific conference. So I think the sciences are making uh, some kind of progress, but I'm watching the panels. I want to see who are the speakers. I want to see <laughs> if the, the scientists and the policymakers and governments are just, you know, talking to, to themselves and each other and not to the community at large. So, yeah. Interestingly, I think the HIV field has always been a really good model for combining social science and also other like basic science. Like, because now I'm starting to uh, like get involved in the chemsex study, all these things or something. That's fun. right, it's more pictures of Prince, Prince George. Prince George, right? <laughs> so exciting. So um, we're getting involved in this like substance use and you will realize that from the government side, there is even harder for them to accept, like uh, be let community involved because they are facing with people who have a substance problem. Mm. So uh, I think as people are working this field, and we are kind of proud, saying that we are very concerned about the relationship and the cooperation between different stakeholders. So hopefully that this model can be like a really expanded and to be more like, like refined. Yeah, but documented as well. Yeah. We hold ourselves to a very, very high standard, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that is the problem, you know, because <laughs> that's why the, if, you, if you check the, 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 the Banamex Center, there are very few community around, you know? Um, you know this year, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very, very, you know, uh, Close conference for a, you know, Scientist, a ghetto. Yeah. You know? That, that's just, it's just okay, you know. But the, the well, that's why we're here. That's why <laughs> you know things like a shot in the arm podcast are so important, so we can get the get the news out. And um, you know, this idea of us owning the science is is so critical, and why we, as communities, have to be. You said infiltrating, you said, uh, Stefan, influencing the, the, the policymakers. So, so what about some of the biomedical advances that are coming along? I mean, Stefan, what are you, what are you excited to learn more about in terms of PrEP this week? Oh, um, I think uh, finally we'll see that WHO is uh, talking about on-demand PrEP or event-driven PrEP, which is um, a new way... Uh, a new regimen. Uh, we actually already implement that in Taiwan. Um, there are good sides and bad sides about that. Uh, so we definitely would love to share our experience with everybody else. Uh, I think um, like any other uh, prevention strategies, they can be just one. It's like a toolbox. Yeah. Like uh, we are putting more and more in the toolbox. Prayer, we have long-acting long injection in the future very soon. Uh, we have deprivation ring, uh, uh, vagina ring, and all these things were in the toolbox. And now we kind of facing a problem that we don't know how to use it. Who, uh, who should we offer? What we should offer? 
So um, we'll be very excited to see if there are more study on uh, combinations um, prevention using some other like mathematic models and that can tell us or a combination with like modern technology like social app. How this social app can inform the users when is the best time to use certain prevention, how to get access to that. And so I think these are all the, um, we are coming to a new generation of prevention and we know it's all effective. And now we need to know how should we combine them together? Who, who are the best uh, persons to get this? So that's community rather than necessarily the scientists. You know, Ben, in, in, in most of the Latin American countries and the Caribbean, a PrEP is an uh, issue that we're still discussing in, 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 uh, in many ways. And um, um, some of, the, of the, the issues that rise everywhere is, okay, we have the evidence that PrEP is working, and probably we, we will expect more and solid evidence about the effectiveness of the, of the PrEP. But in, in this region, one of the main discussion is who is paying for? Mm. You know, because in this, in this part of the world, the, the resources for the AIDS uh, response there are very limited. You know, we depend a lot from the cooperation, you know. And the monies are going down. And the money yeah. is going down, you know. So the priority is to provide, you know, treatment to the people that already is, is living with HIV. Yeah. So for many governments start to pay for PrEP, it is an, a luxury, you know. Yeah. You know, they have, well, let's wait because we are, we need to understood what is this component fix in the whole, you know, fully. Mm. And because in sometimes the people didn't realize that the, the ARBs also are prevention, you know, and they don't understood quite well all that, you know, continue. So one thing that I expect that is happening in that conference is provide more evidence because the government needs that evidence to make decisions, you know. And in this region, they said, okay, it's, it's fine. This is a new tool. This is, we can put it in combined prevention and so on. Well, what a lovely link <laughs> from the, the, the role of uh, treatment as prevention into the results of uh, the 1990-90 exactly. strategy that's just been announced in the New England Journal of Medicine. I mean, three, three papers basically showing that 1990-90 doesn't work. And just remember, 90, the first 90 is 90% um, tested, 90% then on treatment, and then 90% of that un, untransmissible, uh, oh, sorry, undetectable. Um, and and it, it's really shown that this hasn't had a very, very significant impact. And, and you know, this morning I heard something about the 1990 that I really like it. We are putting so much attention in the 90s, but we have to put more attention the 10, 10, 10, because this is the challenge, <laughs> you know? <laughs> this is the thing that we have to be focused on because we don't, if we want to this, make this, don't leave anyone behind, well, this 10 is the people that is behind, you know? So we have to put more attention in the 10s, you know? So, <laughs> Yeah, so, so <laughs> I, I, I'm a little bit shocked. The 1990s doesn't work in Durban. <laughs> no, I, I heard that, and it's, you know, it's, you know I'm, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm like, am I, am I here? So, but yeah, it, I mean, recently in South Africa, Durban, we celebrated a success story in a certain, you know, district that uh, the 1990 is working. And we, yeah, I think it was UNAIDS who was launching some of, and happy to be there. So I think um, the 1990 strategies, what you said, is important that we understand how it all integrates. For young women and girls, all of the, those steps for poor people in Africa, Southern Africa, the availability, the accessibility, and also the 
usage of these methods and also accepting 1990-90, making it a lifestyle. I think we're failing a little bit there. We're making it a, a, a textbook. Like, mm. this is science, right? Mm. It has to be a textbook theory. But what does it mean to me as a person living with HIV in a discordant relationship? What does it mean to a young person who's HIV negative and doesn't want to get infected? I think once we get to start making HIV not normal, I hate that, mm. but making it a lifestyle, making us think every time you go to the clinic, can I access, what do I access, even if I'm HIV negative. One of the things I must access is my testing. One of the things that I can access is, is, is my treatment as somebody living with HIV. And also how we make this a lifestyle, but mm. not make it normal. I, I don't think we'll ever normalize HIV at the rate we're going, and we should not. Yeah. normalize HIV. Well, that's the issue. If, you know, at the front, we, front of this episode, we were saying that this is a state of emergency. How mm -hmm. can you say that on one hand and then say, let's normalize this on the other? How does that make sense? Yes, continued, can, continued education, get families and include governments. You were saying our governments are a li little bit reluctant. Global, uh, uh, you know, domestic financing, mm -hmm. very, very important. Most of the poor countries where there is this problem, the, the dependence on who funds is from donors. So that it becomes the problem. In South Africa, our government does not fund PrEP. So all of it is donor funded. So how do you expect South Africans to then buy into this? Because, you know, science, why are these people funding something that's supposed to work for me? So people think about those things. Who's paying? Why is America bringing PrEP to South Africa and paying for it? Why is our government not saying anything credible that can push any person in any part of South Africa to say, okay, there's a poll that can prevent HIV. I want that. Mm. But, you know, I think there are too many slogans in that conference. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, and we have to be very criticizing about that. No? Because yeah. I remember many slogans that... It's just to provide that sense of hope, you know, yeah. and which, which is good. But on the other hand, you have to support these slogans with, with facts, with data, because otherwise it's just like a blah, 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 you know? And at the end, no one yeah. can remember that. So we have to be very criticizing. Yes. Do you know, it was, it was someone thing, from you know? WHO, who will remain <laughs> nameless, who told me, that they thought that the real benefit of 1990-90 wasn't the science, it's an advocacy tool. And so, well, that's great, but if it's not rooted in anything. Well, actually in Asia, there are so many countries that couldn't reach 1990-90. They are really far from reaching 1990. So um, meanwhile, I'm totally thinking that if you really want to say, I mean, you want to focus on the last 10%, it would be like a really tremendous work on that. So while a lot of governments want to prioritize ART, the importance of committed use of PrEP or other prevention strategy is important. It's because you can never really, I think there was always somebody left there. And we have mm -hmm. to admit the fact that it's never 100%. You can really reach the final 5% or 1%. It would be very hard. So um, to be um, like for in Taiwan, that we started to invest on PrEP. And just for two years or three years, you start to see the difference. So just like only focusing on 1990, 90 is not just enough because we are really facing a really rapid changing world. And so, um, like, while you were like implementing PrEP, people come here for diagnosis. So it's kind of like uh, testing and you, you pick them up if they are positive. And so they're putting ART. So everything kind of linked together. So um, just like focusing on 8990 will make us like really fell into this uh, trap that we want to reach all these numbers. But in fact, there are always somebody there and we need to protect them. And somebody there who have never been tested. So we have to admit that. But if we can get more people prepped and more people on ART, then the whole coverage will be just the rough. I think it's probably what work. 
So the question then is around testing. That's the entry point, mm -hmm. not only to the 19... Well, it is one of it's the 19... Alexa it's Alexa this is the mother of HIV yeah. prevention. So, so why is it then the, um, the, the, the sort of the um, black sheep of the family? We're ne we never invite testing to the party. We're always talking about <laughs> prevention or treatment. We never talk about the centrality of, of testing. It's the end point. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it, it, it's seen as the end point. And I think that is how we placed testing initially when we started working with HIV, mm. that we have this number. And I, I remember this, this picture. Eight point, oh, it started with 3.7 million South Africans are living with HIV, but the rest don't know. Yeah. A big mm. number don't know. Mm. And instead of it being a encouraging message to say, if you do not know your HIV status, get tested, go to the clinic. It was like, we want to find those who are hiding. So we're coming for you. Yeah. And that made exactly. it scary. And that is yeah. including the, the, the community. And that's what we've seen right now. You make testing part of a lifestyle, make it, make it feel good. I mean, I go for testing with my partner and for my routine checks and for his HIV testing because we're in a discordant couple. And it's fun. We sometimes even laugh about it because I'd be nervous, he'd be nervous. Sometimes we, everyone is not nervous. And it's exciting to watch. And then we're also bringing our kids in. Where are you going? We're going to do our routine testing. And that's how you make your children aware mm -hmm. and how you make communities aware. Mm -hmm. The testing, there's nothing scary about it. And it's just to continuously be happy and happy you know, have an exciting life. I mean, quality of life versus quantity, very important. And, and you know, there is so much data now coming about the, the new wave of tests um, mm. and diagnostics, the, the home self-tests. Mm. And I know that's something you, Stefan, have been um, working on. Well, uh, we started to, uh, the Taiwan CDC is promoting self-testing. So now we can use both like oral quick so it's a um, uh, oral, uh, oral fluid-based uh, self-testing, and also another is a finger prick one. So people can order them online, they will be sent anonymously to the, um, the closest convenience store to your home. So it's very close, and you just go there and pick up the pocket, and there's nothing on the cover. So you just do that testing by yourself. And then you can report it uh, anonymously, uh, your result to um, um, the website of CDC, and you get your money refunded. Mm -hmm. So basically, you don't really cost anything to, to, to get tested. So like Taiwan, there are still some rural areas that it's very difficult to go to the hospital or to the NGO. So, um, but we have convenience store everywhere. So uh, it's you get better, really, really good coverage of like um, uh, of self testing if people want to do do that. And a, and a whole new wave of self tests coming through that could be just as um, accurate and easier to use. And um, I think cheap is very important, like and cheap, cheap and accurate. And even I thought I feel like uh, if it's not that, um, for example, that sens uh, sensitive, uh, like if it carried by um, like. Uh, lay people, it's still good if it's cheap because you can do twice, you can do three times, and it actually minimizes the false negative um, chance. But, so. but I also want to speak about how, sorry, how it is empowering to, to do testing and, yourself, how we don't, yeah. and how we don't speak about it. Because it yeah. is, in South Africa, the heterosexual male does not go and test. And we're trying to actually catch them. I want to use those words. Catch them and how do we access them? How do we get them in one group so that we test, test them? But for me, agency is important. And that's what I hear mm -hmm. from you is that my power to know my test results and to monitor myself mm -hmm. and to continuously yeah. test and test and have that agency to access services and the issue around how much it costs. Everybody thinks uh, HIV testing is free and accessible and so easy in South Africa. No, it's not for that person who has agency, for the person who has agency who does not want five nurses to counsel them, go through the process, for them to access a test in South Africa's 150 rand, which is a lot. Mm. Mm. Well, here in Mexico and Latin America, 
at least 50% of the, of the testing work is, is carried on by the civil society, you know? Yeah. So, and it's true, the key populations, organizations that reach the, their, their, their peers, because we are in a region with concentrated epidemics, you know? So that work is quite important. And, well, we have to think what is going to happen when all that system of financing collapses, you know? Um, I'm not sure that in our region we, we can implement the self-testing, you know? Because for, for that you have to have a very strong infrastructure, a very strong health system, you know? And, and that we are huge countries, you know? So I am not quite sure... I, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that it's a great tool in order to, to you know, to scale up the diagnosis and testing, you know. But it is not only a good idea. It, you need that the whole, whole system to work can work correctly in order that you can implement things like this. It's the same with PrEP, you know. It, 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 you need a strong will from the government to implement that kind of things. That's why I think we have to collect all that key information as an advocacy tool. Because in here we have to convince the government for everything. You know? And testing really should be the entry point for both prevention sure. and treatment. It's something that should be absolutely routine. And we don't talk enough about the testing and diagnostics. And um, I, I just wanted to give a... Um, a shout out to you know one of the the testers, Roche Molecular, that's um, releasing, uh, expanding its global access program in Southern Africa, not only to include HIV but uh, HPV, the main cause of cervical cancer, TB, crucial in our in our mm. regions, um, and we need more of this. We need to put much more attention on the on on the aspects of tension. And it sort of amazes me that we we've sort of let this. It, it's it's been treatment. And then we've looked at treatment as prevention and we've looked at PrEP, but we haven't thought about how we sort of internalize and make our communities understand that we are living in a state of crisis with HIV and we can do something about it by being regularly tested. Yeah, but for, for, for testing to work as a strategy, we need to sensitize communities mm. to accept testing as a healthy habit, both HIV positive and negative, a healthy habit that I can routinely go to it, but also the access impediments. For me, that is a, a huge one. For people to access, to go for testing, it has to be from their world, not a tent here today, tomorrow, another tent in the other community. And when I want to test, there's nothing there. Nobody wants to, you know, can assist me. And that is where we, uh, the systems fail. And what you're t talking about, you know, the the healthcare systems in South Africa, our healthcare system is collapsing. Mm. So supporting HIV AIDS prevention is, is, is going to be a challenge and difficult. What about the long acting data that's gonna come out this week? Or the, and, and, and the attention on, you know, there's a friend of mine who calls it long lasting. It sort of sounds like a beard dye, you know, it sort of lasts a few weeks exactly. and then, yeah. But, but the long acting um, compounds that are gonna be useful for both prevention and treatment, are you excited about these? Uh, do these offer us new possibilities? Oh, definitely. I think. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. Well, yeah. from, from, from a perspective of a doctor, I think um, we love to have options. I think we are all talking uh, here, like sitting here, talking uh, about individualized toolbox of HIV prevention. It's because human being loves options. I think this is a great thing. So I want to say that um, so long, like not many people love the shot, for example, but some people we really love to come to the clinic every month to get a shot, and they are they are they it's it's like a burden free for them for the whole month. They don't they don't have to remember their pills. All they remember is their next visit to me. So I think. Um, when we're talking about all these technologies or new inventions, it's not really applicable to everybody. I don't think we are not going to make like PrEP for everyone. It's not going to be possible. So like long injection is not going to be possible for everyone. But 
when people are like certain people will be very benefited from this, and this will actually change a lot of their like attitude mm -hmm. or their like quality. I think this is something really meaningful. Yeah, and, and, and important what you're saying around, and I would add the, the context that I come from as a woman, as a black woman, poor woman in South Africa. So, so all of those things add to it, but also accessibility of, of all of that and making sure that this becomes available and is a choice mm. for women. And when they want it, they can access it. I think that's where we are not getting to reaching women, is that when the choice is for them to, to need a or to want to access a product, it's not available and what it can do for, for HIV prevention programs and, and just for the individual as well. So another way of looking at it is the microbicide um, mm -hmm. and the uh, ring. And, well, we've not had great success with the gels, mm -hmm. but where are we with the, with the ring, Yvette? Uh, uh, I think one, one of the things is that we, we, we're going through the process of getting some kind of opinions from, from, from you know, uh, authorities in, in countries. And we're we, we, we definitely excited about the ring and what it would mean for young women and women overall, you know, just have, having a product that is discreet, that you don't need permission, you don't have to announce it, hey, I'm using a ring. You can, you can just keep quiet about mm -hmm. it and, and it be your own little secret or you can tell your partner. We're looking forward to some positive and I think women and in, in, in the countries where the ring study happened are, are, are looking forward to a ring and, and looking forward to positive results. And we also know some of these products, PrEP, the ring, all of this, Studies have shown it only works, even contraceptives, only works when you, you use it. it. Yeah. So, so, so we also know that what happens in the studies can be different, so mm. much different in the real context of a young woman and a woman when they have to, have, uh, to use it. And also we know when some products are still in studies, what happens? Young people, people are still worried. What, mm. should I, shouldn't I use it? When there is data to say it works, then people increase the uptake. So yeah. for me, that's exciting. I think that idea of uh, provide options to the people is great, you know, because each new technology or new approach, it's, 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 it could be better for one population, mm. but it, it, it will not work fine for another, no? And it's the same with the countries, no? Some countries can implement easily, Another not. So mm. we have to watch the context, you know. What, what is the real context in terms of, of the systems, the legal environment, the, 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 the level of the economy of the country in order to afford that, that kind of thing. So there are many options. That we are, you know, discovering many, many new things. And, but new things, there are... You Challenges know, to yeah, it, yes. as well, Let me give you an example here in Mexico. For years, we have something that we call uh, canasta basica, you know, which is a basic package of uh, medicines. Mm. For years, we use all ARBs, you know. Until now, we are, you know, reviewed this package and use and, 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 and get up all that old medicine that we don't need, but it's still in the package, you know? So we need to incorporate the new ones, you know, because, yes, because this is an evolution. But, but also <laughs> systematically, I just wanted to add to that, that even though there's one pill a day, there's long acting, somebody like me, I still use my three pills. Because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. So mm -hmm. give the option to the people who want yes. to stay on that. So one of the things that strikes me as we're talking, and I noticed it today as we were walking up and down the conference halls, and that's a great way, by the way, of getting your daily exercise in. But, but there is, you know, despite the really heavy topics we've talked about in this episode, there is a sort of a, a gritted determination, a relentless optimism um, amongst our communities. And, and have you seen that? I mean, did... And, and, uh, what do you think makes us continually optimistic? Uh, are you sure we're just not happy to see each other <laughs> in the corridors? <laughs> because all of us, it happens. You know, uh, we come globally. But yeah. I think uh, we, we cannot not be optimistic. 
I mean, I'm excited to hear from, from the comrades on the chairs that things are happening and communities continue to push. And it makes me feel kind of optimistic. Like, okay, it's not that bad in South Africa. Mm, I don't <laughs> want to be in Mexico. <laughs> yes, and, and it's those things. And that's the power of community is that communities are always so inspirational and aspirational to things of the future because that is what keeps us alive. And I think initially with uh, way back, that's what kept us alive <laughs> before really, there was treatment. I think we're seeing a different generation coming up, which is a sure. great thing. Um, like AIDS has been in like, human history for more than 30, almost 40 years. And we are seeing the, the new generation with new tools with them. So people are now growing up with different strategies. And of course, we, actually we didn't talk about condom. I think there should be more interesting studies about condom. Why there should be like very like uh, uncomfortable condom. There's a condom with a like microbicide. There's a condom with all these indicator of STI. That seem to be very fun thing. But um, they seem to be, but they're also part of the, 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 the tour bus. What I want to say is that we are, have seen a new generation with like new strategy. They are uh, they use their IG. They use different social medias, and they're using different ways of spreading information. And we need to incorporate all these new technologies. So, rather be afraid of being said about these new things. I think we are. I, I think we are still happy that seeing that all these things will be more complicated, but somehow we need to incorporate it in a new way. So I think it's great. I am quite optimistic, you know. I, am I have been optimistic from the last 28 years since I was diagnosed, you know. Mm. And since I was uh, diagnosed uh, with HIV, I'm just living the process of the science and I, I improve the science, and I put the science in my body, and I know that it's possible, and I'm very, very optimistic that in the future, things could be better. But I know that the process is slow, and the, the, we have to consider all of the challenges in the, in, the, in the road. So it is a long, long, long road to reach the end of the epidemic. But of course I am optimistic about the response because science shows that works and saves lives. And yes, yes. I, I, I think uh, what our young doctor over here said just gave me hope, you know, that young people, we need to embrace young people. We don't only need to embrace young people as, as the subjects of it, but the young people in driving and making the change. I want to see more young doctors. I want to see more black women doctors. I want mm -hmm. to see more young scientists coming mm -hmm. out and, and finding the solutions for themselves. I say something that really gives me goosebumps most of the time, which is one of the things. I'm an old person, 20 years living with HIV. I'm already HIV positive. Why the hell am I the face of HIV prevention? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the same with contraceptives. I might never need a baby. I don't use contraceptives currently. Why are we not creating those spaces for young people to come up and find the solutions? And I think that would be our big challenge for the coming years. Well, I think they are finding the solutions, just not necessarily the way us old people understand them. You wouldn't know this, Deborah. But, you know, you mentioned tech. You mentioned the use of apps. I think there's a whole lot of work being done there that we're, us oldies in the AIDS movement, are only now getting our heads around. And I, I think the thing that really struck me today was, you know, the resilience of people who've been doing this for so many years. And it was like seeing comrades in arms. <laughs> yeah. But um, I have to say the highlight for me today on a really silly note was the color of Linda Gale Becker's hair. Oh, which has gone blue. Beautiful. It's absolutely stunning. I saw stunning. purple. You saw blue? I saw blue. It's purple. Oh, okay. Okay. But still cute. <laughs> Our LGB. Yes. So, any final thoughts as we as we finish our first episode? It's it's the beginning of a very exciting conference. I think a bit the beginning of a next era 
for HIV and AIDS prevention research and also community involvement. I think more and more do we see that scientists are embracing, opening up. Our friends, you've mentioned uh, Linda Gale, uh, there's many other women who are embracing Helen Rees and uh, this community engagement and seeing the value and the diamond and the power of communities when they do work in HIV and AIDS. I've never seen a scientist do community, you know, what, oh, community, getting communities together or having a, a dialogue or a discussion. So communities are actually the heartbeat of getting us all together. <laughs> and I'm excited. I'm so glad I've met everyone on this couch. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't wait to make friends with more passionate people in this field. I always feel that people working with HIV has such great mind and I always learn a lot from people around the world. So um, I just can't wait. Every time I'm in IS, I think I'm very excited just to get to know new people. Well, I, what I hope to see in the next days is that a lot of advocacy groups doing a lot of noise in the conference. Yes. <laughs> especially people from Latin America, especially people from Venezuela. Yes. Mm. Venezuela is living in a huge humanitarian crisis, mm. you know. This is a, you know, red light that is just mm. sounding very low. And it is not only Venezuela. Even here in Mexico, we are living in a humanitarian crisis because people from Central America is trying to reach the United mm. States, the North. And here, with the new policies of the Trump president that just want to stop the immigration. Will that be censored? You know, the country that Spain, the, the broken, you know, things is Mexico. Because all that people that want to cross the border is, is stupid here. And we have to deal with this crisis, even in the north border and the south border. So Latin America is burning, you know. So we need to, you know, speak out about that kind of things. And I hope this conference here in Mexico can be this scenario where we can raise the voice, yeah. you know, about that kind of thing. And, and I certainly think that the um, IAS represented that in, in its opening remarks, and I'm just reflecting on how... I hope so. Yeah, and how Anton Posnak spoke exactly to, to, to those words. Well, we've got a lot of work to do, and I think we're all geared up to do it. It's not just this week, it's, as you said, it's for the long haul. So, Stefan, thank you very much for joining us. Anwar Luna Kadena, my dear friend, thank you so much for joining us. And, of course, my partner in crime co-host, Yvette Raphael, thank Mandla. you. Huh? I needed to say that, Amandla. Amanka. Amandla. Amandla. No. Yes. Well, you are a shot in the arm. And thank you all for joining us. Uh, we will be back in a day with our next episode. Uh, subscribe and find us wherever you find your podcasts. Um, and don't forget, us, don't forget to give us five stars. So thank you for being a shot in the arm. Thank you.